Hello, and welcome to the Final Mile Club podcast, or as we're calling it, FM Radio. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Beijung, and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University. If you are anything like me, I was a theater major in undergrad. I did experimental theater. And and I heard very often the same question that imagine some of you may have heard, which is like, what are you going to do with that degree? And frankly, I had no idea other than I was just gonna do theater until they made me stop. I applied almost immediately to theater graduate schools and I supported myself by deploying the skills that I had learned working backstage in crew. I spent a, a year roofing in Indiana I did all kinds of weird temp jobs. I did public speaking seminars because I knew how to stand in front of a, a room of folks. And I will tell you right now that that in my current position um, as dean, which is unlike any I have ever occupied previously, I have used almost every single thing I learned as a theater and art student uh, as an undergraduate. I have learned how to learn and how to keep teaching myself. And that is really what providing resources, information, and access to understand what are the tools that you already have and how can you put them together in different ways for lots of different career outcomes. One of the things that I have learned in talking to alumni across the board um, from who have come out of every program in, a- in AMPD today um, is that they do not stay in their lane, that very few people have a kind of you know, start here, end their career trajectory. People move around, they explore different things, new opportunities arise. And frankly, that's that's the world of work right now. We are not looking at stable, static jobs that you start, you know, year one and you're gonna, you know, retire from 30 years later, right? You're gonna change careers at last, you know, estimated by, by current research at least seven or eight times. Uh, many of the of the particularly artistic and creative industries are shifting to uh, freelance and gig based work. How do you not become you know a cog in that machine, and how do you maximize your talents um, and abilities within that? And also, how do you how do you do this in ways that really honor your integrity, not just as an artist and as a creative, but as a person? How do you stay true to your values? How do you pursue the things that are meaningful and important to you? How do you align your opportunities with what you have to offer? And then at the end of the day, like, how do you communicate that? So I'm really excited that everyone is here. So I'll just open up the first, the first question to everybody here this morning. And if you, if you don't mind kind of briefly introducing yourself, what you studied at university and what your career path has looked like since then, you know, for however long that has, that has happened. I'm happy to get uh, started. Hi, uh, everyone. Tracy Parker here. So I I studied technical theater. Uh, I can't believe I graduated in 2011. And I have had uh, an, a really interesting career path. And it really started right after I finished university. I started out as a manager of a clothing store while I figured out what was next. Next, I took what I learned in theater and I went over to sports and events marketing. And then I wanted to build out my base. And so I then said, okay, how can I challenge myself further? And I went and worked at a big uh, ad agency. 
And then following that, I've now had an incredible five years at, at Deloitte and had four different careers within the organization and currently lead people analytics for Deloitte Canada and a team that's across the country. So uh, theater to that uh, may seem strange, but it makes a lot of sense when you understand all the, the details behind it. Tracy, quick question, just in terms of your current position, what from your theater training do you still use? Oh, gosh. Um, so I think people are surprised I can do things on time and on budget. And I always joke because in theater, uh, opening day doesn't move and you don't have a budget anyways. And so the fact that you can do things on time and as close to budget when you have like the size of things that we do, I think that's like like a very basic one um, that I would say that I bring. But I think the biggest one for me of what I consistently use is you have to be resilient. You have to know how to creatively get out of problems because that's basically what we learned, right? And work with different types of people. And so, you know, all of the creative types uh, that I would have worked at within theater, they exist in different ways here in the pioneers and in some of our leadership or, or other individuals. So I'd say the fact that I can be resilient and roll with change and bring structure to that change is probably the biggest thing that I use every single day. And that's, that's formative from, from my time at York. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Anyone else want to just talk a little bit about what the transition from university looked like for you? My name is Phoebe. So I graduated in 2015 from AMPD's film production program, and I mostly specialized in post-production, primarily with a hybrid focus on video editing and sound designing. And I guess my career path has been a bit of a journey so far. So I initially worked for the City of Toronto as part of a nonprofit arts organization that they have amalgamated three of uh, the GTA theaters, um, which I think are now known as Meridian Hall, Meridian Arts Centre, and the St. Lawrence Centre for the Arts. So I started with them in 2015 held a couple of positions with them. And then from 2015 to 2017, I also worked as a creative director and editor for a film entitled A Piece of Paradise, which was actually created and directed by Patrick Alcedo, who is an amazing associate dance professor at AMPD. So that was a really great collaboration during that time. Uh, I don't recommend working two full-time gigs right out of university because uh, working 80 to 100 hours a week, the burnout was for real. Uh, but in hindsight, like I don't regret it. I just do wish that I had been able to find a more of a healthy balance between both positions at the time. Uh, so I worked in that position with the city of Toronto from 2015 to just actually recently in August, uh, where I just accepted a position as a senior video producer with Walmart Canada's digital events team in corporate affairs. So I work uh, nationally to spotlight engaging content and stories from ideation to distribution with Walmarts all over Canada. So that's been really fun for the last couple of months, but that's kind of like my career journey. And it, it, it really was AMPD who kind of like helped form every part of me in a sense. So one thing that I've noticed in my career, it's less about the what and the how, but the why. And I feel the ability to storytell is crucial when creating art and applying that to different careers that utilize your art form. And then the second kind of useful thing that I learned from education was the beauty of collaboration, because I don't know about everyone else here, but when I first attended university, I really came into it with a very me mentality, like I'm going to mm. accomplish X, Y, and Z. I'm going to create all of this art on my own that I've set my mind to, which was not bad. But during my time at York, I really realized that while being independent is very important, also being able to work as part of a team and collaborate with other individuals is just as crucial. That's super exciting and, and really <laughs> wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm struck by, by both you and Tracy, right? This overlay of 
original creative work with a sort of artistic sense in the way that we kind of imagine it and and train in it at, at in AMPD departments is basically the foundations of of storytelling through a variety of media and the ways in which there are lots of places to tell stories to all kinds of audiences. It is never too early to think about what you're going to do when school ends. I was aware in talking to students that they began thinking about this in March or April. And they were like, oh, graduation is coming. What am I going to do, right? That's a stressful part of your life. And forever it will be so. For a lot of us, our, our, you know, what we're next year has basically been laid out. I go to pre-K, then I go to kindergarten, then I go to primary school, then I go to secondary, then I go to post-secondary. And there have been certain choices along the way that you and, and, and other folks may have made. But this is a really critical kind of transition moment where the next step is not preordained. And so the sooner that we think about that, the more time we have to think through the different options to really explore and to find, you know, what's going to be the right fit for you. But in thinking about that, I, I, I want to talk to you, Sadie, thinking about the last year or two of university and, and what comes next. What do you wish that you had, had learned or had known in, in this period, right? Because I think you may be one of our more recent graduates of AMPD. So um, I feel like that question is uh, especially funny for my situation, only because my preparation for graduation was so extremely anticlimactic. I was the class of 2020. So my last three weeks of university were cut by that pandemic. I was in the dance performance and choreography stream of AMPD. I was one of those students who was involved in literally as much as I could find, dancing 40 hours a week. I had multiple gigs lined up, both for performance and choreography. I was excited to get started. And then the entire world shut down. And then the world continued to stay shut down for a very long time. So I had a very interesting experience with preparing for the last four years about like learning from the people's mistakes from before me and saying, oh, I'm going to continue on and like um, learn from all the things that I've listened to in these workshops about like not worrying about the rejection and like continuing like blazing forward. And I have all these tools and resources that I can look to. And then the entire industry changed. And there was no mm -hmm. handbook for how to deal with this. There was no handbook for how to survive this pandemic, even as a settled artist of 20 years of experience, let alone an emerging artist with about one week of postgraduate <laughs> experience. So I and my kind of cohort, both the people who had just graduated the year prior and were in their fourth year, like right below me, were speaking to each other just about kind of like, like what the heck? Um, and what do we do now? So I just kind of was the first thing was almost like the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Like I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? Well, I need money. So I need to think about what I'm going to do for money first. Because I had been doing student work as uh, APD student, as a student ambassador. I went in to work in the central recruitment of York University and then was able to um, transition to this current contract where I am the recruitment officer for APD covering for a mat leave. And I am loving it. And I am just really enjoying every day. But once I kind of felt settled with um, like a day-to-day -day routine and I don't feel like I'm just kind of like floating in the clouds, I was just kind of like grasping any sort of artistic um, connection I could find. I think there's a lot of differences when you're more of a performance-based artist. It's really hard to continue creating and working when you're like 
confined to a meter by meter space where mm-hmm. you don't have access to a lot of the equipment that you would need for um, a lot of like bigger works. And even just for myself, like I'm the only instrument I can use. I can't use other bodies. I can't bring other people to the space. And so everything that I had learned in the last four years was completely like taken away from me. Leaning on the improvisation and innovation techniques that were part of the fine arts education was really helpful. So that was like something I was glad to have learned. Then I was able to use a different kind of career opportunity finding. And I found like just gig postings through Instagram and Facebook and people messaging me. So I went from telling my mom that I was done being an artist and I was never going to work ever again. And, you know, art sucks and I hate it. And then um, I was actually in the uh, a dance film in the Toronto Fringe Festival this summer. So then I was like, oh, just kidding. I like art again. <laughs> and then I did. Um, and then I just kind of, that was like the one, thing that I needed to kind of like bring me back into that atmosphere and then slowly I kind of just was crawling back out of that like cave of self-loathing and depression and frustration and I hate COVID and and then I um, was looking up for more opportunities and I started teaching again so I'm also a dance instructor and doing more freelance um, art stuff so like I guess there's no nothing that I would really wish I learned because I just don't think that anything could have prepared me for what we all went through as well as wouldn't have given me this opportunity to learn something from this experience. I'm not going to tell you that it was a positive experience because it wasn't, but obviously there's positives in every experience. Well, I I mean, that's super, super helpful. And I think the the kind of key points that I hear is, is one that the learning resilience and accepting that change is going to be a part of the landscape is really critical. The second thing that I really think is so important in what you're saying, Sadie, is don't let anybody tell you that a temporary transitional job or a gig is an artistic failure. It, it is part of the profession. Everybody goes through it. Finding ones that are going to help facilitate your work, you are participating in a long line of artists who are working to be able to facilitate their, their creative work. And that is a stage that all of us go through at one time or another. Yeah, and um, Nicole. Hi. Totally resonate with that after I graduated. I was like working for a company that I didn't like at all. It was like this graphic design agency that I, uh, the the boss wore Hawaiian shirts every day to work and the logo looked like it was a travel agency. No one listened to me. No one would uh, like look and look for me for any advice and they would change on my designs I feel like overnight and you know so it was just very hard and I I think being part of that that feeling that I just didn't like my current situation made me like want to change it so much so like on the side I kept doing my own thing and I kept like doing the kind of work I wanted to do for myself and and I think that I think the biggest part was being persistent and not trying and not like giving up on that um, even emailing out to people and companies I wanted to work with. I remember one time I really wanted to work with the curator at the Drake Hotel after I graduated and like I didn't hear back at all. It was like silence, the crickets. And then I think a year or so passed and she reached out to me for something. And I was like, oh, so I just thought like, just, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes that opportunity, it won't happen right away, but it's okay. Just keep working at it and it'll happen. And eventually the kind of work that I did on the side a lot. I kept like the, my personal projects. It eventually became more and more what I do full time. It kind of eventually became a job. <laughs> yes. One side hustle can sometimes turn into a career. So well done. 
one thing that, that occurs to me is, is sort of thinking about current tools. And I'm thinking about LinkedIn, for example, or other kinds of, of social media networking, particularly networking in the context of COVID, where we're not having industry events, we're not having open job fairs, or there are things that students should know about or questions to ask when, when looking at different kinds of digital or online engagements? Uh, for me, it's been a mixture of LinkedIn and a portfolio. When you say portfolio, are you talking website? Are you talking web presence? And what, what should be in part of that portfolio? So it really depends in terms of how you want to showcase your work. Because I've had individuals who, for example, on the video editing side of things, they'll create one video reel, they'll update it every single year. Um, for me, I'm a bit more multidisciplinary, and it was really difficult to kind of showcase my work in one video. So I do have a portfolio website, which I, I do think that it is very important in terms of being able to showcase your work to employers, because it kind of is that first uh I guess, taste of like what you can do as a professional. And for me, I'm not going to lie, like when I was job, I job hunted, I think for about over a year before landing my current position. And part of that was my lack of a portfolio because I would nail the interview process. And then as soon as they would want to see a portfolio and I'm sending them individual links, they're like, <laughs> well, you're telling me you're one thing, but you're not showing me that exact same thing that you're trying to showcase. And so it was actually after creating my portfolio, I ended up landing the job that I'm at currently after finalizing that portfolio and then kind of restarting that interview process again. And LinkedIn is also very important because a lot of the times recruiters are looking through LinkedIn, searching for individuals that they would like to hire. A lot of the times you'll see people from different companies who viewed you. And one thing I will say is do not be afraid to introduce yourself to somebody at a company with a job that you want. A lot of the times people I know will just, you know, go for a virtual coffee uh, with someone that whose job that they're interested in just to kind of pick their brain and be like, hey, how did you get to where you are at right now? And I think for me, yeah, LinkedIn, a portfolio, and even surprisingly, social media is actually a really good thing in being able to interact with people who you might not actually meet in real life. So it is a mixture of things. You just have to find what works best for you. So what I can add on to that is we are taught or exposed based on who we are in the art of storytelling. And so the portfolio is vital. The tools you use, the story you tell is also really important for probably for, you know, whomever your client customer is going to be. And so I think really think about not just showcasing your work, but what is that story you're telling? If you're selling yourself, what differentiates you from the next person? You know, so I think really tap into that. And, you know, if you're not sure of how you portray that through word, again, go to your network and say, you know, how would you write this? What would you say about what's different with me? So I think it's not only about being able to showcase your work, but showcasing the storytelling. And that may be a, about you it may be what you're trying to do. So um, that's, that's, yeah. So exactly what Nicole just said, like, talk about yourself. People want to connect with humans right now. And so I would say use that storytelling in portraying your work and who you are. I, I can just elaborate on that, uh, just jumping off of um, Tracy's point is that at the end of the day, a portfolio will tell so much, but people hire people and it, people don't hire work at the end of the day. I, I find that um, whether, whether I'm hiring here at MPD or I'm hiring for my agency, the personality in the story matters so much. And it comes down to even hiring a photographer for an event or a wedding, or when you're hiring that band, I want that personable aspect to it so I know that I'm going to have a smooth time dealing with you as a professional um, versus just the talent because talent will take you far but 
being just a good person and being able to communicate those little things just make all the difference in the world. 100%. Hello. Okay. So I feel like this has been extremely helpful um, just in terms of understanding that everybody's experience is quite subjective um, and that it is very, there's highs and lows. And especially I think as, as, a, as an art student, like we've been getting constant reminders every week about how your career path, you do have to do odd jobs. You do have to figure out how to make um, ends meet. Um, and it might not always be a positive outcome, but I feel like the one thing that I, I would want to know realistically is, you know, how much time would it take for me to understand how to sustain myself right after graduating? And, you know, what, what, what are the downfalls that I, not that I'd want to have a negative approach to it, but what should I prepare myself for? What are my backup options? I mean, of course, like there's a lot of work I need to do from myself, but in terms of experience, what works, what doesn't work? in terms of finances and applying to jobs? And what is it that, you know, if I did apply to jobs, what do I have to be cautious of that where I would get an outright no response? Because I am someone who's only worked in, in like the university faculty as a student mentor, I haven't done any odd jobs, um, you know? So I'm a bit cautious of that. And I'm new to Toronto uh, in terms of, I don't have a huge artist network here. So how would I go about that? Yeah. I, I think that is so important, Zara. Thank you so much for that. Um, I see Sadie's got her hand up and I imagine other folks have ideas as well. Um, I mean, in terms of like, like your past work experience, like that's very similar to what I did. And I did do some other stuff outside. Like I worked in like retail and service industry a bit as well, but my main experience was um, within like the university. Now, I think when you're looking, when you're looking at like a student mentor job, which is what I did, there's very basic administrative skills in there, um, but there's also just like interpersonal communication skills. That's like very straightforward customer service. That's very straightforward. Um, but also what I did was I continued to work at the university. <laughs> so there's also pathways that way. So you don't necessarily think that you need to go right into some cor corporate downtown Toronto office job. There's a lot of more like nine to five type positions that are not always known um, or really thought about. So what I did as well when I first started in uh, my kind of job search was I went to a lot of like arts organizations that I know. So like different like National Ballet, things like that. And I went on their careers page and I looked at their entry level positions. So that's a great way to kind of get a sense of the type of skills that are required for those positions because in a lot of cases you start at an entry-level position and then you work your way up and that might mean in the same company or at other places but that's kind of what I'm learning right now is that a lot of skills are transferable it's really just about as we talked about before finding places that are right the right fit for you and then also um, just really kind of not letting yourself say no to things before someone else says no for you so I had a lot mm -hmm. of situations where I wouldn't even apply to the job because I just decided that I wasn't qualified and no one told me that I did. And I like, there's probably a lot of situations in which that may have prevented me from who knows what, but I mean, worst situation is that they're going to say no and then you just move on. But um, yeah, that's kind of my two cents. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, Phoebe. There is a resilience that I find when it comes to being in the arts, uh, but slowly over time, you kind of start to, to build that 
confidence for yourself, which is why if I had to, if I could go back in time and tell my past self anything, it's to take the time to understand your worth. And I can't stress that enough. Um, And when I say take the time to understand your worth, I mean both personally and monetarily as in the money you make, because that goes hand in hand, especially when you're building a career. Uh, that age-old idea of a starving artist mentality is one that really needs to be thrown out the window because if you have it in your mind right now that it's like, I don't care what I'm doing or how much, I don't care how much I'm getting paid as long as I'm doing what I love, you got to throw that mentality out the window because you can get paid, can get market, paid a livable, market, a livable wage while being able to do what you love. You just have to kind of build yourself up and find those opportunities. But it's not, it's not for the faint of heart, the arts, but we don't get into this because it makes sense. We get into this because we love what we do. Yeah. I still struggle with that. How do you measure your self-worth? Like, how do you know? I, no one told me in school, like, you know, freelance rates, like how much should I charge an hour? Like, but, you know, I'm still learning. Well, so I have a question about that, Nicole. How do you figure that out? You know, how do you determine your worth and how have you figured out how to set rates, for example? So it goes back to keeping a good network of like peers, friends, and talking about that. So I'll have friends who I talk to about like, how do you come up with a rate? Like, how, how do you find that? So maybe through that conversation, we kind of help each other out. That's one thing. And then I also, and this is hard. I've, I've learned this too. Like, I think it's making judgment calls about the kind of uh, industry that you are quoting for. I'm still trying to figure out how to know how long is this going to take you? How many hours are you going to spend working on this? Great point. Great point. Kareem. So I, I run an agency outside of this job and, and I can tell you, we undercharge for our first three years of business. And then what I found out from a mentor who runs the biggest Canadian agency, um, is that what they would do at the beginning to learn what the rates were is they would actually call their competition too and reverse engineer what are they charging so that you know what your market rate is. Because if you're going with a company, if I'm hiring someone, my my biggest thing is I need to get the lowest price possible because I have a limited amount of budget. So you have to think that's their perspective. But if you know the competition's charging a certain amount, then you can kind of go in that space and and the big thing also, and it's been mentioned about time is the hour spent and what do you value for an hour of your time? Um, and that means an hour of time, if it's outside of the scope of your job is an hour of time, giving up time with your family, with your friends, with a passion project you might be working on. And I think this is something we'll highlight in future um, sessions for FMC is how to write that into a contract so you don't get exploited for hours. Because mm-hmm. I, I estimate if I'm doing like a, a video shoot um, for a commercial or if I'm doing a graphic design project for a client, I say this is estimated at 10 hours. Here's my fixed rate for this project. Anything additional will be X amount per hour past that. And if it's in writing, it's pretty rock solid. And I think that's a really big skill that a lot of graduating artists don't have is good contract writing to make sure you're getting protected with how much you're charging. Thank you for that. Um, super, super important. And yes, um, contracts, legal understanding, negotiation, all on the agenda for FMC coming up. So stay tuned and tell your friends. What we tell ourselves makes it easier for us to tell other folks. 
And if you're if you're saying it out loud for the first time in a contract negotiation or in a salary negotiation, it's going to be really hard because you're already, you know, battling not only the external context, but your internal voices as well. So practice asking out loud, saying, I am worth 50 bucks an hour out loud to yourself before you're in the in that high pressure situation. Go ahead, Kareem. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is that um, with relation to all of this, I think a focus on developing your soft skills might be the most important thing you actually spend time into. There's a lot of great stuff we learn in the classroom, but I find that as I've like matured as a professional and as an entrepreneur and stuff, what I look for for hiring and when I'm pitching are um, the skills that aren't taught in the classroom. So resilience, I can't tell you, I've probably sent out 800 proposals as an agency and I've probably got about 80 okays. So I'm hearing nine, 10, nine no's for every yes, but learning to be okay with that and learning to, to be okay with hearing no for stuff. I'm sure I'm going to pitch a bunch of stuff to Sarah that she's going to look at and think I'm absolutely wild for, for pitching as an idea. Um, and then confidence goes hand in hand with what a lot of people are talking about now. It's that you can go in and say, I can charge $150 an hour and be confident about that. And that, that relates to the resilience. If they say no, then it probably wasn't worth the time. Um, so learning ways to, to practice those skills in, in different ways uh, is, is hugely important. I look, I look for that in the people that I hire, which is why the campaign that we're, we're pushing around creativity is probably the number one soft skill that um, we look for is that we don't want cookie cutter ways to solving problems because clearly they haven't worked before. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is coming from a business grad where I can, I can interview 10 business grads and the answers will be very, very similar. Um, so just keep that in mind and look for ways to, to work on those soft skills outside of the classroom. I, I'll also just add to that, that, um, it's rare that a no is, is a waste of time. Um, you need to be efficient, right? I mean, you can't, you can't shoot for everything and there's no point in, you know, like interviewing or applying to things for which you are patently unqualified or, you know, but, but, but I totally believe in the stretch and, uh, and things that are, you know, if you're kind of like 70 to 80% there, go for it. Because even if, even if the answer is no, um, what they, you know, like get on their radar, um, you know, sometimes really good things come from, from making contacts through the interview, uh, that, that may not, you know, may not turn into the job there, but might turn into something else later. You are going in there to tell the story of who you are, what you care about, and to communicate what you can bring, right? Whether that's as an actor or a dancer or a visual artist or a creative of any kind, like that's what you're bringing into the room. And then what happens after that, that happens in another room that, where, where you're not there, right? And so treating that as an opportunity to share who you are, to share what you can do, to practice and learn and really listen. Like, what are the questions I'm being asked? What are the dynamics of the people in the room? And using that as information to go forward and, and just keep, keep, you know, moving. And then when you're out of the room, let it go. Cause you've done everything that you can do. You're, you've learned, you'll, you'll build on that for the next time. And whatever the decision is, that is actually not under your control. So kudos to everybody. Thank you so much. And, and just 
have a great day. This is the best of what York University offers, and it, it, it's been a real pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the Final Mile Club Radio, a production of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University, with generous support from Jennifer Ivy Vanek and members of the Dean's Advisory Committee. You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.